Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's open the Word of God to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17. We'll read down through verse 38. And we're going to be reading about this last meeting at Miletus that Paul has with the elders there. Acts chapter 20. We're going to read verse 17 through 38. If you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll have prayer and then we'll begin reading right there in verse 17. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for that touch of God that you give the help that you bring to us, Lord, uh, to get us through. Lord, we do thank you this morning. We praise you for being our shelter in a time of storm that we might cling to, that we might, uh, that we might run to in our time of need. We thank you also for the word of God and the great privilege we have to study together, to assemble and worship in freedom. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having a church family and Christian friends to gather around us, to encourage us in our journey following the Lord and in our study of your word. We pray you'd bless our time in it, Lord. We pray you'd just take the reading of God's word and use it to nourish and strengthen, to encourage, instruct, and guide our lives today. We pray, dear Spirit of God, that you'd make the message personal to each of us, to speak to us as we listen and as we hear the word of God this morning, that we might know what you'd have us do from what we learn today. And we'll thank you for all that you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Verse 17, Acts chapter 20. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how that I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye shall all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things that... Uh, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on, Saul's, on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. I want to preach a message this morning I've entitled, What to Do When the Preacher is Gone. What to Do When the Preacher is Gone. Thank you. You may be seated. I said Miletus a moment ago. Paul left Miletus and went to Ephesus. This is the meeting at Ephesus. And uh, Paul is meeting... With the elders there, this is, he's recognizing this as his last meeting. And as I read this, my mind immediately went, as, as I guess all of us parents would, it, it went to that moment when, you know, your kids get big enough that one day it's their turn to make the decision. It's their turn to make the choice. And as you talk with them about the issue and, and, and the different uh, options maybe that, that are in front of them. At some point, you stop as a parent because they're now old enough and it's their turn and you say, it's your choice. It's your decision. And you know, it's kind of heavy in that moment for them, isn't it? When they realize, wow, man, I have to make this decision. I have to make this choice. They feel the weight of the responsibility and and then also, no doubt, the, knowing the consequences that are going to come from that choice also. <laughs> I remember my kids on, on a different occasions, you know, looking at that moment and looking at those kind of decisions, those adult decisions that they have to make and thinking to themselves and even saying out loud on occasion, you know, this is what I was in a hurry to get to. You know, as a, as a child, you're always in a hurry to grow up and you want to get to the next level and the next step. And then when you're finally there, it's like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not at all what I wanted. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready for this. And yet here we are in a moment like that in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul as, as he commends these brethren from Ephesus to the Lord. He gives them some parting words as he now leaves them to be responsible he leaves them to be the leaders. He leaves them to make the decisions and uh, to feed the flock. It reminded me of, of uh, parenting and, and, and that day when your kids are, now they're making the decision. You're, you're now coaching instead of parenting. And, and uh, they're, they're, the training wheels are off and, and here they go. It's time for them to begin to make life choices. You know, the Christian life is the same way. There's a time in you and I in our Christian life when we must be mature and we must grow in Christ, there's a time uh, coming that we have to be responsible enough uh, to make the decisions, to do what is right, uh, to make good choices. Because guess what? Your parents aren't going to be there as a spiritual leader. Your youth pastor is not going to be there. The Sunday school teacher, the pastor is not there to make the choice for you. In those moments, it's up to you. 
to be the spiritual leader. It's up to you to make the godly decision. It's up to you to apply spiritual wisdom. And not only is that choice weighty, but in the moment you then realize and remember that whatever the consequences of that choice are, you're going to carry those also. The responsibility for the consequences, they come with the choice that is made. This is a tender moment uh, because they realize that they're going to see Paul for the last time. But what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the, the responsibility side. The moment in time where the spiritual growth is kicking in. And they're seeing maybe for the first time that now they are the ones that are going to have to make the choice. And I want to ask us this morning as, as believers, as mature Christians looking onto this text... I want to ask us, are we ready for that? Have we grown in Christ enough that we are ready to make the right choices, to do the right thing, to apply the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we've gained from the house of God and from the word of God all the years of our spiritual journey? You know, it's great to be able to read the Bible and walk with God. It's great to be able to come to a Bible-believing church and enjoy the company of Christian friends. But you know, at some point, all of that needs to kick in and it needs to become real. We, we need to gain some traction in our own personal lives by, by living out what we've learned. All that Bible knowledge needs to kick in and be put to use. And that's really what Paul's dealing with right here as he commends them to the Lord. So Paul says some things to them. And I want to uh, extract these principles here and share them with you so that we too can be helped that we can be prepared to be grown up in the Lord and be ready to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. So let's look back at what Paul said and let's glean from the wisdom of his words as, as we arm ourselves to be ready in those moments also. First of all, in verse 27, what did he tell them to do and what principle did he give them to help them to do the right thing when it's their turn to make the decision? Well, in verse 27, the first thing I noticed is that he said this, giving his own testimony. Let's back up and catch verse 26. He said, wherefore, I take you to record this day, I am pure from the blood of all men. Why? Because in verse 27, he said, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare all the counsel of God. The principle that we want to extract from that is this. And this is the, this is the word that I would share with you this morning. What to do when the preacher's gone, when your parents are not around, when you have to be the one to make the spiritual decision. What's going to get you ready for that? Number one, do not shun the counsel of God. Do not shun the counsel of God. Now, when we hear that on the surface, I'm sure that your reaction may be the same as, as mine at first consideration. You know, I thought, well, I, I, I've never shunned the word of God. We don't see ourselves as pushing God's word away. We think of that more as rejecting the word of God. But if we use a softer word, if we use the word shun instead of reject, maybe it's more appropriate for what we do sometimes without even realizing it. Here's what I mean. To shun the counsel of God. Well, 
we could shun the counsel of God by, by, by having the approach that we're going to pick and choose what we want to believe from the Word of God or from the preaching uh, at church or, or from the teaching of Sunday school or, or whatever it is in, our, in, in the time and season of our Christian growth. You know, when we pick and choose, when we have that cafeteria-style mindset, I'm just going to take the parts that appeal to me. I'm just going to enjoy what I think tastes good. You can do that if you want. We've been teaching on Wednesday night on what it means to be a Baptist. One of the things Baptists historically have believed down through the centuries is, is that we believe in individual soul liberty, the freedom to worship God and carry out His commands uh, you know, as God, as God has shown you or as you see fit. Individual soul liberty. Guess what? You have the liberty to apply the word of God or not apply it. And I'm thankful that we live in a country that embraced that belief early on so that that right, that privilege now is enshrined in our, in our founding documents. We have the, the right to religious freedom, to worship God that way as we see fit. You have the freedom then to pick and choose, but I want you to understand that that cafeteria-style approach comes with consequences. One of the consequences that we don't realize right away is that we may be shunning the Word of God by the things we don't choose. It's kind of shunning indirectly. We're not directly rejecting the Word of God. We're not directly saying no. We're just kind of leaving that over there for somebody else to enjoy. <clears throat> Are there things that you've shunned? Are there things that you've left? Are there things that you've turned a deaf ear to because you, you felt in the moment, oh, I don't think that's convenient for me. I, I don't, that's not comfortable. I don't, I don't like that. Be careful. Paul said, don't shun the counsel of God. You know, when, if we're not going to shun the counsel of God, then that means we accept the entire book, you know, like cover to cover. All of what the Word of God says, not just the part we like, right? And, and we have to be very careful about that because there is a lot of, of activity under the umbrella of, of Christianity. There's a lot of activity that enables Christians to kind of become their own God, kind of pick and choose what they think is right, to do what only they want to do. It's kind of a Burger King style, you know, have it your way, Christian life. And uh, I want you to understand that does not always line up with the Word of God. We have to be careful that we're not shunning the Word of God indirectly by just leaving some things that God really intended for us to take. So be careful. Don't shun the counsel of God. What does it mean to shun? Well, to pick and choose is to shun indirectly, but also to neglect areas that God has spoken to you about is to shun the counsel of God. You know what I mean. When God comes and speaks to your heart, God, in, God leads you to do things or not to do certain things, and you just kind of put that on the back burner. And you kind of say, well, I'll think about that later. Or maybe, you're, maybe you give a real spiritual answer and say, well, I'm going to pray about that. And while you're, you know, praying about it, you just continue right on as if God never spoke. You know, 
you know really what that looks like? It looks like we're shunning the counsel of God. You have to be careful about that in the Christian life because the Bible tells us a few things about the Holy Spirit. You know, God, God within us, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can grieve the Spirit of God. And I believe when you and I neglect to do what God says to do or, or we neglect to stop what God says not to do, I believe that grieves God. But even worse, not only can we grieve the Holy Spirit, we can quench him. And this is the dangerous thing that we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about. But the Holy Spirit is kind of a, he's, he's a quiet person. The, I, the Holy Spirit, I describe him as, the, as an introvert. Y'all know what an introvert is? The quiet person that usually likes to sit in the corner and watch everybody. The one who you probably wouldn't notice is in the room. Right? Unless you didn't turn and look at them or somebody introduced you, you'd probably miss that they were even there because they're quiet. And they like to stay off to the side. Hey, the Holy Spirit's like that. And the Holy Spirit won't over-talk you. The Holy Spirit will nudge you. He will, he, he will speak to you. But, but if you keep saying, not now, not now. I, I, don't, I don't like that. Not, no, I'm not. I'll pray about it. You know, eventually we can get to a point where the Holy Spirit stops. And he says, okay, okay, I'm just going to be over here. You just live your life how you want, and I'm just going to be over here. And, you know, we quench the Spirit of God. We can, we can turn that, what we call conviction, him prodding us and speaking to us. Hey, we could just turn that off. Paul described those people that have done that as those that have seared their conscience with a hot iron. Well, you know what that's like. Have you ever burned yourself? I mean, maybe you've burned your tongue. Have you ever done that? I remember when our oldest daughter was little, I don't know, four or five years old. We were at church early. It was a similar situation like here. We, we had a long commute to church. And, and I was going, we were going, to, we were attending this church. I was helping a a friend of mine who was pastoring the church, and it was out in the country and very small, and they were trying to grow. We started going and tending out there, trying to help. And so we had made our commute. We were there early, and, and so I went into the fellowship hall to get some coffee. Now, Angel had drank coffee at home. You know, it, you know how it is. It's really more milk than coffee. And so she decided, I want some coffee too. I want a drink, Dad. Give me some coffee. I said, no, 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 this is hot. This ain't milk coffee. This is hot coffee. And I kept telling her, no, this is hot. No, this is hot. And she was jumping up and down, all excited. Dad, I want some coffee. Dad, I want some coffee. I said, no, it's hot. No, it's hot. She'd pull on my leg. Come on, Dad, I want some coffee. I said, okay. After a few annoying moments of repetitious pulling, okay, you want some coffee? Here, to be careful, it's hot. And I remember when that, when that hit her tongue. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know how it is, right? Well, I don't have to tell you what happened next. All of her taste buds were scorched. She probably felt that for a week and, and didn't taste anything for a week. You know, you know how that is. Why? Because those, they get seared. And so then you can't taste. And you know, that's what the Christian life is. When we turn the Holy Spirit off, we, we get seared. And then we get desensitized because then we, we don't have those feelings of restraint 
and hesitation about sin and about the wrong direction, all that goes away. And that's why it's so dangerous to do that to the Holy Spirit because you make yourself vulnerable to do the wrong thing and bear the consequences of that because then he's not there to say, whoa, whoa, hey, watch out. You do yourself a disservice as a believer when you shun the word of God or when you ignore the Holy Spirit. Remember, you can quench him. Don't do that. When we neglect areas where God has spoken to us, we're really shunning the counsel of God. And if you want to be ready for those moments when it's your turn to make the decision and do the right thing, don't shun the word of God. Don't shun the counsel of God. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Another way you can shun the counsel of God is when you determine your reaction to truth by the actions of others. In other words, we, we, let, we let the crowd determine our response to God. And in that moment, you have to understand what we've indirectly done is we've chosen to follow them instead of following him. God speaks to our heart, and yet we look around kind of like Peter in the book of John, you know, when, when God tells Peter what he wants him to do, and he looks around, and, and he sees John, and he says, well, what's this man going to do? And the Lord says, if I will till he tarry till I come, what's that to thee? Follow thou me. In other words, don't worry about what John's going to do. Don't worry about what James is going to do. Worry about what you're going to do. But, you know, the problem is we are social creatures. And, and we, we are affected by the way others respond. And we do see ourselves as a peer in the group. And sometimes we're intimidated so much that we will hesitate or even ignore what God said. Well, because no one else is doing that. So we don't. You know, when we're doing that, we're really shunning the counsel of God. We have to be careful. You know, it's kind of like Peter when Jesus was arrested and he went to, <clears throat> he followed Jesus as they took him to the high priest's palace. And the Bible says he followed afar off to see the end. So Peter was down and discouraged. In his mind, everything was over. All his dreams had been shattered because he thought Jesus was the Messiah. And in his mind, that meant that he was coming to overthrow the Roman government and to give freedom and deliverance to Israel. He didn't realize that Jesus was coming to give spiritual deliverance, not political deliverance. And because of that perspective, he got discouraged and he got down and he followed to the, to the palace and, he, and he, was, he was really at a low point. And in disbelief, he watched this trial as he gathered outside and the Bible says he warmed himself by the fire with all those other unbelievers. And while he's huddled up in the midst of them, those unbelievers, one of the maidens turns to him and says, hey, Aren't you one of them? You're one of his disciples, aren't you? And what'd he say? 
Oh, no. No, 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 not me. Before we're too hard on Peter, though, realize we're made out of that same, we're made out of that same flesh. And in one way or another, we've done the very same thing. We've shunned our Lord to fit in with those who responded or didn't respond in the way God was calling us to. And when we yield to the pressure of our peers, instead of doing what God wants us to do, indirectly, we are. We are shunning, aren't we? If you want to be ready for that moment, don't shun any of the counsel of God. Number two, what other good advice did Paul have? Notice in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. He said, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. That's some good advice also for us. What does it mean to take heed to yourself? Well, by the way, if you understand what Jesus said about the beam and the moat, right? We have to make sure that things are right in our life before we can teach or help others have things right in their life. So if you're, if you're one who's prone to going around and trying to help straighten everybody else out, make sure you stop and look in the mirror first and make sure that you've got things in order. Take heed to yourself is what he said. What does that mean? Take heed to yourself means, it means keeping yourself right. Keeping yourself right with God. Making sure that your life is right. Making sure that your attitude is right. Making sure that your perspective is right. Making sure that your obedience is right. Who's going to do that in your life? Hey, it should be you. If you're mature in the faith, if you've grown in the Lord, you ought to be at a place where you can take heed to yourself. You shouldn't need your mom or your dad making sure you do what's right. You, you shouldn't need, uh, you know, somebody over you cracking a whip. You, you shouldn't need your pastor calling you, uh, you know, to do things. You, you, you should be able to take heed to yourself. I'm not saying we shouldn't check on one another, encourage one another from time to time. We, we certainly should. We should comfort one another and encourage one another and all those kind of things. But at the same time, we need to be able to look in the mirror and deal with ourselves. And we shouldn't need someone doing it for us. It means that you keep yourself right. Hey, I want to ask you a question this morning. Who keeps you right? Taking heed to yourself means to give more attention to your own actions than the actions of others. Paul said, take heed to yourselves. You know, if we're going to be mature spiritually, we're going to have to understand this responsibility that we have to keep ourselves, to take heed to ourselves, to make sure that we're doing what's right and realize that unless, unless you're in a, a position of of spiritual authority over others, then, you know, you need to do a little less of policing everybody else and do a lot more policing right here at home. Police your own heart. Police your own life. Make sure that you're doing the right thing. Take heed means to give more attention to your own actions. You know what we do? We judge others by their actions. But we look in the mirror, we judge ourselves by our intentions. It's really wrong. It's not fair. 
we have a double standard. We need to judge ourselves by our actions, just like we do everyone else. And then next, take heed to yourselves means that someone else doesn't have to do it for you. Now, if you're new in the faith, then for a time, the, Bible's, the Bible compares spiritual growth to physical growth. And just like when you have a baby, there's a time when you have to do everything for that baby. <coughs> you have to feed them, change them, clothe them, put them to sleep. <coughs> you have to rock them, you have to play with them, you have to entertain them, right? Everything. But we don't do that forever. We all know and understand that we are, that we are walking them to a point when <coughs> they will begin doing some of these things for themselves. We sit them in the high chair, we play the airplane game, you know. Here it comes. This spoonful of stuff that I wouldn't eat, right? I don't know how it tastes these days, but I don't know how it used to taste. Baby food? Ooh, man. <clears throat> no wonder they don't want that stuff. You have to tease them with applesauce and then put those veggies in there real quick, like that green stuff. I don't even know where that comes from. <clears throat> I don't want to know. <laughs> but eventually, we're able to hand the spoon over to them, right? Hey, and isn't that one of the, that's one of those early first things we do. As soon as possible, we want to get that spoon in their hands. Why? So they can learn how to feed themselves. And you know it's the same in the Christian life. The first thing we want to do with a young Christian is get the Bible in their hands. Teach them how to read the Bible and understand the Bible. Why? Because this is how they feed themselves right here. Taking in the Word of God. Learning to let God speak to their heart. Learning to let their soul be nourished by the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you know, when we take heed to ourselves, what are we doing? We're taking responsibility for those things like feeding ourselves. Those things like, uh, you know, growing our relationship with the Lord, speaking to Him in prayer, allowing Him to speak to us so that someone else doesn't have to do it for us. You know, it's okay when there's a toddler in the high chair and we're feeding them. But there comes a time when someone would walk in the room and find it very inappropriate. For you to be feeding a four, five, six-year-old, they would say, what are you doing? And rightfully so, because at that age, that child ought to be feeding themselves. Right? Paul says to the men at Ephesus, take heed to yourselves. This is what he's talking about. Be responsible for, the, for your, your needs, your spiritual growth, so that someone else has, doesn't have to do this. Why, why was he telling them this? Because there was about to be no one else. This was the moment of truth. As, as Paul was stepping away, he realized through the prophecies of the Holy Spirit that once he went to Jerusalem, he was not coming back. You know, we don't have to know the number of our days 
to understand this principle and this truth. We don't have to wait till the last meeting we're together before we apply this. Right? Actually, that's way too late anyway. Honestly, if these guys were elders, they should have already been doing this long before now. But what would you say as a final farewell? I'm glad Paul does address these points because it gives us a guide before we get there. And it's very helpful as we learn to take heed to ourselves as we grow in the Christian life. Now, in the same verse, verse 27, not only did he say, take heed to yourself, but he said this. He said, feed the flock of God. Now, understand that he's talking about the word of God. He's talking about teaching and preaching the Bible to them. Well, guess what? You can't give others what you don't have. We talked about that from a parent's perspective. It's true from a pastor's perspective also, or any kind of spiritual leader for that matter. If you don't have a strong Christian life, guess what? You can't pass that on to someone else. And so Paul was saying, as part of this admonition to take heed to yourself, he said right behind that, feed on God's word daily is what he's saying here. Feed the flock of God. Make God's word your source for substance and strength in the Christian life. Hey, let me ask you this morning. Where do you go to get fed spiritually? Hey, I like Christian music. Godly singing. It's all good. But when it's time to be fed spiritually, it's the word of God. And by the way, that's the issue with the hymns, if you, if you have never thought about it. <clears throat> Why are some people so adamant we don't get rid of the hymn book? We keep the old hymns around. Well, I believe the reason they're so adamant about that is because many, most of the hymns are based on scriptural teachings. The hymns teach the Bible when you sing them. A lot of the modern songs don't do that. So if you, if you totally get away from the hymns, that's another source of nourishment that you've cut off. And the old timers know that. And even though they don't explain it that way, that's what they're talking about when they say you shouldn't get rid of your hymn book. Okay, it's okay to sing more modern songs, but, but if you get rid of the hymns, hey, just beware. That's not a good move because you're cutting off a portion of your spiritual diet that is necessary, right? So in other words, if you're somebody who says, I'm not going to eat any more green beans, that's fine. But, you know, you need to make sure that you find that nourishment somewhere else and add it in. Because what a lot of people do is they cut out what they don't like, but they don't replace it with anything good. And that's not healthy. Make sure that God's word is your source for substance and strength in the Christian life. Hey, next, I want you to think about this. Did you know feeding, this is what Paul told him to do, feed the church of God, right? Did you know feeding is a reoccurring activity? I'll tell you what I mean. You got up this morning, you probably nibbled on something before you came to church. Well, guess what? By the time church is over, you're going to be ready to go nibble somewhere else. Matter of fact, you're probably going to be doing more than nibbling after church. Why? Because we get hungry, because we need to eat again. And then tonight, sometime between 
<clears throat> lunch and, and the time you go to bed, you, you're going to find yourself again looking for something to eat, right? We need that constant re- restocking. We need to resupply ourselves with that nourishment. The same is true spiritually. So we constantly have a need to read the Bible, to memorize scripture, to pray, to sing the hymns and songs of God, right? We, we need those supplemental things in our life so that we can grow and function as we should, as a mature Christian should. The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little in Isaiah 28.10. That is how we feed ourselves in the Christian life. It's the same way. So I want to ask you this morning. what's your method? How will you feed yourself? We can't just uh, say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that, and then have no idea how. To feed is to fill, implying satisfaction. So we're to do two things. We're to get fed, and we're to get full. That's what God wants you to do. Get fed and get full. So I want to ask you this morning, here it is, you have a copy in your lap, how are you going to feed on it? How are you going to feed on God's word? What method are you going to use? What system? What structure? I think with many Christians today, the problem is there's a disconnect between what they know and what they do. They know enough to know they should be fed by the Word of God and that they should be in God's Word regularly. But the discipline, the muscle of going there, doing that, isn't present. Some say, well, Pastor, I I, I know I need to be in the Word of God more, but, you know, man, I I don't read well. I'm not a good reader. Okay. Have somebody read it to you. Because, I'm sorry, but God gave us a book. That would have been great, you know, if it was a recording. It'd be good if he'd just show up in the sky at night and just proclaim. But he didn't choose to do it that way. He gave it to us in written form. And the only way to take out of there what we need to nourish our souls is we've got to get in here and read it. Or have somebody read it to us. You say, well, I, I don't have anybody to read it to me. Okay, then, then get on your phone and download the Bible app, right? Because then you can go to a passage and you can hit play and it'll read it to you. Thank God for technology, right? Technology's good when it works. <laughs> and so it can be used for, for many good things. <clears throat> if you find yourself not reading the Word of God because you're not a good reader, then I encourage you, to to take time and make the extra step of utilizing some technology that will help you with that. Get in the Word of God. That's not enough, though. you got to have a plan. Get in the Word of God, download the app, and then find a Bible reading plan. There are many. There's three-day plans, five-day plans, seven-day plans. There's 20-day plans. There's 30-day plans. There's year-long plans. Obviously, if you pick shorter ones, you're going to have to keep going back and and pick the next one, pick the next one, pick the next one. Remember what we said, take heed to yourself. Nobody's coming behind you to say, hey, have you picked your next plan? Hey, are you on the app? Hey, have you got it downloaded? 
Did you listen to it this morning? That's all on you. You got to do that. Are you doing it? Find one. There's several out there. You have options. Get in God's word. Number four, Paul said, another way for us to be ready and responsible for our own Christian lives, there are going to be times, pardon me, there are going to be times when we're going to have to commend everything to God. Notice verse 32, if you will. Let me get back there. Acts chapter 20. And in verse 32, Paul is actually doing this in the moment, so he's teaching by example. He said, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. Commend all to God and to his word. Look, there are, there are things in, in this life that are beyond your control. Any, any other control freaks in the room? You like to be in control of everything? Okay. I, I know I'm that kind of person. And I, I, have, I have mellowed more in my years. But it's because I have seen God come through time and time again. And I have been able to relax a little bit in that and realize, you know what, God is better at this than me. Because the reality is, he's in control, I am not in control. And no matter how much I may stress about it, I cannot fix things that are beyond my control. The sooner we all learn that, the better off we're going to be. So what does Paul do? He realizes that while he's away, what happens to these dear saints of God are going to be out of his control. So what does he do? He said, I commend you to God. God is better able to take care of you than I. I want to ask you this morning, what do you need to give to God? It's a healthy Christian practice to understand our limitations and to seek God for those things that are beyond our control instead of trying to carry those things ourselves. That's why Peter said, casting all your care on him. Why? For he careth for you. This means all things and this means all people. What do we have to do to commend things to God? Number one, we have to trust God and his word. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. What we have to do is practice acknowledging God in all of our ways. Trust him. You know, I found in the Christian life, you're not going to do that if you don't trust him. You have to trust him for the outcome. You have to know that he has the best in mind. Number two, to commend means, it means you wait for God's direction or you wait for God's solution, or his answer to prayer, or whatever it is that you're seeking, you you have to be willing to wait on God for that. That's when you can commend stuff to God. You give it to him. You know what our problem is? We like to bring stuff to the altar, give it to God, and then when we go, it comes right back to our seat with us. We, We don't let go. We can't wait. 
We're impatient. We want God to do it right now. No, 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 no. That's not how God works. To commend to God means to give the results to him. It means to allow God to work on this situation, this problem, maybe this person. And you have to allow God time to do that. You have to allow God to provide for whatever that need is or that solution that you're seeking. Commend it to God. And then await and allow him to do it. You know what we want to do? We want to be real spiritual. We want to have all kind of stress and anxiety about it. And then we want to bring it to God and we give it to him. But then we take it back to our seat and we stress over it until, until the solution comes. And then in the end, we feel like we did it. We didn't really do anything but stress. So what we really need to do is give it to God. As hard as it is, and it is hard. But Paul said, I commend you to God. And he knew at that moment when he did that, they were in good hands. So when you give things to God, do you come away with the assurance that it's in good hands? God is better able to take care of this than I am. Now look, that doesn't mean that we give things to God that he's expecting us to take care of. You know, old-timers used to say, God's not going to do for you what you could do for yourself. Right? You can pray for God to sweep the floor all day, but what God really wants is you go get the broom and come do it. When you pray for a harvest, this is what old-timers used to say. When you pray for a harvest, you need to do it at the end of a hoe handle. <laughs> right? In other words, you're doing, the, you're doing your part. You're doing the part God needs you to do. And then you trust him for the stuff you can't do, like making that seed grow. Your part is to put it in the ground and cultivate it, water it. And then God's part is to germinate it and make it grow. If you want to be prepared for that time when you become responsible, Paul said, this is what you have to do, guys. Don't shun any of the counsel of God. Hey, you know what? You're going to need all of this book. I'm telling you, in the Christian life, the journey that you're taking with the Lord through life, you're going to need every word of this right here. Let me just tell you, don't shun any of it because it's so good. Number two, he said, take heed to yourself. Be responsible to make sure that you're the one keeping yourself in line and on track with God. He said, feed on God's word daily because you need to make sure that you have strength for the journey and all the stuff you're going to deal with along the way. And the only way for that is to be nourished by his word. Take the spoon. Learn how to feed yourself in the Lord. And then he said, commend all things to God. You know, you've got to recognize there are some things that are going to be out of, outside of your control. And when you come across that, you're going to have to be willing. Once you've done your part, you've done what you're supposed to do, you give God the rest. <laughs> do your best and give God the rest. 
and be at peace. Trusting Him to finish it. And He will. It's good advice, isn't it? And so Paul leaves them with those words. He leaves them in God's hands. And you know, that's where all of us end up. It's just us and God, and we're plodding away at this thing called life, and we're trying to live the Christian life, and guess what? We, We have to learn how to do it on our own two feet. And one day on the other side, we're going to meet the Lord. And we're going to hear about it. And when we get there, we want him to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So let's be now, and along the way, let's be what it takes so we can hear that. Well done. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for these great words of encouragement. Lord, these simple words of instruction. And while the concepts are simple and easy for us to understand, Lord, because of our flesh, they are often so hard to do. Just things like trusting. Things like feeding ourselves. Things like letting go. Sometimes are just so hard. And so we come again and again into your presence, asking for the help that we need. Because your word says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find that help that we need. And so we do this morning. Work in our hearts, guide our lives. Lord, show us what you'd have us do next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.